Uh, Psalm 90 uh, can be found on page 8 of the, the service bulletin. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever had you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a great joy uh, to be with you this morning. Thank you for your welcome. Brenda and I are so thrilled to be here. Uh, as Josh said, this is a little bit of an unofficial visit uh, for me today, but uh, an official one in the sense that we're here to officially worship Jesus, aren't we? And to gather and to hear from Almighty God as we uh, open His Word. If you've got your Bibles there or your worship bulletin, would you open uh, at our psalm this morning that was so beautifully read for us, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a very good place to be on the first Sunday of the year. Uh, not a wholly comfortable place to be, as no doubt we'll see in a few moments. It's a psalm about standing at an intersection of time, God's time and our time. And sometimes those aren't in the same rhythm. First Sunday of the new year is, I suppose, a day for optimism. And yet there is too, isn't there, that unmistakable wistfulness that another year has gone never to return. 2019 is now in the history books. <sighs> we can all breathe a sigh of relief. It's over, it's done, time has passed. Uh, the horizon is just a little bit shorter and life recalibrates a little in some way. We're all also, as I said to one of the young people just before, uh, a year older. So how was 2019 for you? A year of gain? Or was it a year of sad loss? A time of struggle? Or was it a period of refreshment? 
For most of us, I suspect there was probably something of both in 2019, if we're honest. There's one certainty, and that is that 2019 will never happen again. It's past, we can't return to it. In fact, we can't even do anything about what happened there. It's time to continue to look forward into the will of the Lord. And as I get a little older, as I did in 2019... I became a grandfather for the very first time in 2019, and I hope you'll all ask me in the coffee hour to show you the photograph of my beautiful granddaughter, Alice. I think this is the first time I've mentioned her in a sermon. Uh, But as I get uh, older, as I found myself doing year by year, I find myself reflecting on what verse 12 of Psalm 90 calls numbering our days. Numbering our days. I feel uh, older, and I number my days. And this psalm helps us to live with some of those realities. Psalm 90 uh, helps us face those realities head-on in a way in which our culture is often so reluctant and uncomfortable to do. It's a psalm in which, by showing us who God is, we're brought to see the reality of what really matters in life. And that's the point of it. Yes, our days are numbered. They're numbered. But how do we and how will we live in them? Yes, our lives are microscopically short compared to the eternity of God, but what are the implications for 2020 and beyond, however long it may be, that we have on this earth? If you want Psalm 90 in a sentence, that doesn't mean that's all of my sermon. But if you want Psalm 90 in a sentence, here it is. It is that we can only live our days wisely when we see God clearly. Psalm 90, probably the oldest psalm we have in what we call the Psalter, the book of Psalms in the Bible, we're told it's a prayer of Moses. Do you see that there at the beginning, the man of God? And this psalm is uniquely attributed to Moses. It's the only psalm in the entire Psalter attributed to him. And the scholars are not precisely or entirely sure of the precise context, but many believe Moses is on Mount Nebo at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. We've got a a Bible study tour going to the Holy Land next July. I think you've got information about it. And the Lord willing, we will stand on Mount Nebo, this very place, and consider this psalm. There's Moses at the end of the 40 years of wandering, when God says Moses will not himself enter the land because of disobedience. What what a knock, what a blow that must have been to him. Moses had felt all the pain of standing by so many graves during those wandering years in the wilderness. Some scholars estimate that a million people had probably died in those 40 years when the children of Israel wandered uh, in the wilderness. His sister had died. His brother had gone. It seemed as if all was unraveling, a whole generation gone. For what? And now he is a man without a country, and he confronts his own limitations, and he confronts his mortality. And notice this, instead of being driven to despair and cynicism, as he might have been in that moment, leading the people, but being prevented from going into the promise with them, 
what, what, what does Moses do? He's driven to prayer, and he's driven to worship, and it's wonderful. It's all there for us in Psalm 90. So, dear brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Church this morning, Moses asks us to consider two things and takes two, two actions in this Word of God here this morning. The psalm has 17 verses. Eleven of the 17 are spent considering just two great realities. In order to pray as he does in the second part of the psalm, from verses 12 to 17 onwards, we need to, to first take in the realities of which are verses 1 through 11. Before we can navigate where we want to go in 2020, we need to reflect on where we are right now. So let's have a look at those and go to the beginning of the psalm and look at it with me as we go through this morning. Firstly, verses 1 and 2, God is eternal. He is eternal. Do you see that there? They're wonderful words. Look at them with me. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There is only one place of belonging, of refuge, of safety, of centering for human beings, and that is a relationship with the eternal God. Nowhere else and in no one else can refuge and safety and authenticity be found. God is eternal. And I'm recalling that great New Testament truth that we rightly speak of Christ by His Spirit coming to dwell in us. We thought, we thought of that at Christmas time, Christ coming among us, God with us, Emmanuel, a wonderful New Testament truth. He comes to live in us by His Spirit. We invite Him into our lives. Yet here, in Psalm 90, perhaps the oldest psalm in the Bible, if it is possible, an even, an even bigger reality, because not only does Christ live in the believer, but the believer lives in Him. He is our dwelling place our home. Lord, you have been our dwelling place for all generations, says Moses. If you're a lover of the, uh, the great hymns of the church, as I am, uh, you might recall that wonderful Isaac Watts paraphrase of Psalm 90, of this psalm, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. It's a great hymn. If you've never heard it, get Amber to teach it to you on a Sunday morning. Look with me. The psalmist in verse 2 takes the oldest part of creation he can think of. What is that? The mountains. Have you ever said so-and-so is as old as the hills? He takes the mountains. And he said God was before those mountains. He's before the creation of the world itself, from everlasting to everlasting. God is there. He is the one. And we see Paul in the New Testament expounding this for us in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, in verse 17. 
He is the one who holds all things together, writes Paul. When we turn our minds forward, God is there. There never has been a time, there never will be a time when God is not. I'm quoting the great Augustine there, and I'll come back to him later in my sermon. You see, brothers and sisters, there is no day that Almighty God will not be there for you in any generation, in any city, even New York, in any circumstance, for He stands outside time. Verse 1, do you see it? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I trust that helps you. It helps me. I trust it helps you. When someone you love is, is, is lying in a hospital bed, when your employment suddenly ends with no explanation, when the test results give you two months to live or report an unexpected pregnancy, does this help? Psalm 90, surely it does. Moses wants us to grasp deeply the eternality of God, His sheer greatness. I like to say I'm not a prophet, uh, and to quote uh, the prophets, I'm not even the son of a prophet. Uh, my father was a pharmacist. Uh, I have no idea what the remainder of 2020 is going to bring for any of us, uh, but I do know the one who stands outside and above the remaining 11 point how many months left uh, of 2020. Our dwelling place in all generations. And that is a comfort, and it's worth pausing. I encourage you to pause and, and reflect what it means to have the eternal God as your dwelling place for you, for those of you who are married, in your homes, your children, and even grandchildren. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There is only one dwelling place in a complicated world which is certain and dependable and continuous. And it's God, the God of the Bible. And we discover Him in His Son, Jesus Christ. But then, there's a second matter we need to consider. And it's there, look with me, again, Psalm 90 in verses 3 to 11, and it, it creeps up on us. And it's, in some respects, a shocking contrast to God's eternal nature. And we're not quite ready for it in the psalm, but it's there. And it's verses 3 to 11. It's, it's that life is, is, is short and life is difficult. You see, beneath the, the, the achievements and blessings and the successes, there's a subtle con, a subtext to life called time. And it's passing us by. We notice that, don't we, with every passing year. We know time is short, and sometimes it's shorter than we know. Some years ago, I buried my 23-year-old nephew, James. Alive one day, gone. Gone the next. George Bernard Shaw was right when he said, echoing verse 3, the, stati the statistics of death are quite impressive. One out of one dies, he said. 
And with just one verse from the eternal God, we are brought down to earth. Do you notice it's there in the passage in verse 3? You return man to where? To dust. To dust. That's life, is it not? A human life, even the longest of human lives, is insignificantly short. It's like a watch in the night, soldiers on duty for two or three hours. Verse 4, it's like a flood or a dream or grass which comes up in the early dew of the morning and by evening is gone, verses 5 and 6. It's short. It's so short. You see, brothers and sisters, in an age like ours, when we're tempted to think that we are smarter than God, or in a position to judge Him, or that we can extend life through our own endeavors, medical advances and health routines, it's well to remember how feeble and finite we really are. Again, as the hymn writer said, frail children of dust. He is God and we are not. We are here for a moment and then we are gone. He alone, not us, He alone is eternal. Look, verses uh, 7 through 11, they're, they're a real shock and and with respect, they're rather uncomfortable. Life can be difficult. And the psalmist offers two insights for us, an immediate insight and then what we might refer to as an, an ultimate insight. The first immediate insight is that life is difficult as a result of the wrath of God. And that, by the way, is the way you pronounce that word. W-R-A-T-H. It's the wrath of God. That's the immediate insight. Life is difficult as a result of God's wrath, His anger. I hope you see that there because it is unsettling. And it's there, do you notice, three times in verses 7, in verses 9, and through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger, your wrath we are dismayed, by your wrath we are dismayed. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Who considers the power? Of your anger. The other immediate insight is our sin, and that's a less pleasant topic to talk about on the first Sunday of the year. But we must, we must, because in a moment we'll come to the Lord's table and we'll remember that Christ died the one full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins in our lives and the whole world. But look in verse 8, our sin even the secret sins, even the sins we think nobody knows about, nothing is hidden from God's view. Nothing I do is hidden from God's view. Nothing you do is hidden from God's view. He knows it all. He knows you through and through. He knows me through and through. And Moses makes the point that our lives are hard, and they are hard for a reason, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We are mortal because God is angry. And God is angry because we are sinful. The reminder that we are all creatures of dust and we are made of it. In verse 3, we will return to it. Human sin has made a real mess of this world and still does, even today. My sin makes a mess of this world. Human sin has made a mess of our wonderful nation. And that's why I believe the ministry of this church, Emmanuel Church, here in New York City, is not only important, it is holy, 
and it is necessary and it is called of God because you are called to take from this place out into the world the good news of Jesus Christ that there is a way for our sins to be forgiven through Him and Him alone. The psalmist exposes the dark side of the reality of sin. It's, it's bitter sweet, the experience of life, because it's exactly, exactly the, the, uh, what we need to hear. And it's very often exactly the opposite of what we do hear. Nobody wants to be told that God is eternal and that our life is short and difficult, unless it has a reason. And Psalm 90 is the reason. The psalmist shares this with us, the situation before he gives us the insights, and he turns from the problem to the solution. And two things I want you to consider, and two actions I encourage you to take as we look at this psalm. Here's the first action. If you didn't set resolutions in 2020, here's an action that you might set, at least as you reflect on the Word of God this morning. It's there in verse 12. Do you see it? It's there in verse 12. And I would suggest it's an action of prayer, number one. Number your days. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Surely a heart of wisdom, a heart of prayer, a heart to know the will of God. Numbering your days means thinking about how few of them may be left and how they might end. It means reflecting on how short this life is compared with the uh, eternalness of the next and making good decisions about both. The person who does not stop to think at all about what it will be like to leave this life and meet God is guilty of utter folly. Teach us to number our days. To neglect doing so is so serious. It's so serious. Verse 12 is a lesson in life-changing theology. Listen to this quote, if you would, uh, from a man who had some impact in this city and around our nation uh, and around the world in one particular way. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, dying in 2011, 56 years old, eight years of treatment for cancer. Here's what he wrote, and I quote, Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I have ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all eternal expectations or pride or fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Steve Jobs made, in my observation, some remarkable corporate decisions. I don't know where he stood with God, but what about you? Eugene Peterson, Christian scholar, suggested that a heart of wisdom is a heart that has discerned the art of living skillfully whatever the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It is about getting the big questions, the things that really matter, sorted out in this life before it's too late. Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. Pray that prayer for me. 
I ask you and invite you as, as I will pray it for you. Number our days. We're all going to stand before God. So I say to you today, trust in His Son. Live for Him. Do that. And the God that lives in eternity will meet you. That's the first action item. Here's the second. And it's in verses 13 to 17 in that last portion of the psalm. Look at this, some of the lovely things that we might pray here as we seek God's mercy. They're lovely things you might consider including them in your own prayer life as you pray through the psalm. Here's the first thing, verse 13. Have pity on your servants. This is really as a prayer for the gospel, for the good news. This is a prayer that God's anger will not be the final word. This is a prayer that God would not pay us what we are due and what we deserve. It's a prayer that God would show us His grace. And the wonderful thing is, it's a prayer that has already been answered in Jesus Christ who bore the punishment for our sins and has given us grace upon grace upon grace. It's a beautiful thing. Pity on your servants. If you do not put your trust in God and His gospel, do it today. I do not put it off. Thank God that He has already answered that prayer in Jesus. Here's, here's the second prayer I want you to notice. It's in uh, verse 14. Do you see it there? Have a look with me. Satisfy us in the morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Why? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. This is one of the best prayers that we can ever pray because we live in a world where so many of us seem to be, I speak of myself, so dissatisfied with so much. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. It's beautiful. It's a, a wonderful thing to pray as we consider the grace of God in our lives. While searching for fulfillment, and there's some wonderful books that, uh, if you ask me afterwards, I'll give you a title or two. Um, searching for fulfillment amidst the excessive pleasures of life, and false religion and philosophy and distraction of the 4th and 5th centuries after Christ, Augustine of Hippo writes this. Here's what he writes. Amidst all of those distractions and all the pleasures of the world, he writes, you have made us God for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, in you. It's beautiful. Study him. C.S. Lewis, the Anglican author and scholar, said this, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. It's not there. There's no such thing, he said. It's only in him. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I was reading this morning. In fact, I sent this verse to a dear brother and friend who's with us this morning. Uh, the words of Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning. In the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice. I prepare my heart for you 
and I watch. Pray that you will find your heart's deepest satisfaction in God because he, only in Him will we be truly satisfied. And then I'm looking at the watch. I've just got a few moments for perhaps one last thought. Finally there, verse 17. Do you see it? I pray this prayer myself. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, says the psalmist, establish the work of our hands. Pray together, as I know you've been doing here at Emmanuel, sometimes after church. Pray together for what you are doing in this congregation. Pray together, if you would, for what we are doing in our Anglican Diocese of the Living Word to which you are part. Pray the words of verse 17 personally for your family and friends, for your children, for grandchildren, for the, the, the vocation to which you have. Establish the work of our hands. The things we do here in church, what takes place in our homes, our relationships, workplaces, all have eternal significance. Uh, in my uh, 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 days as a pastor of a local congregation back when I lived in New Zealand, I had a man who helped uh, lead our worship, a songwriter, worship leader, and he would remind me, Life is not a dress rehearsal. He would say, on Sunday morning, we perform for an audience of one, for him. Life's not a dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. We've, we've got spouses to love more sacrificially. We have children to nurture more tenderly. We have relationships to tre treasure more committedly. We have careers to pursue more intentionally for Him. Nothing helping us in our work like the thought that this is all precious to God and worthwhile in His power and, yes, even in His purpose for us. Well, there, there it is, brothers and sisters, Psalm 90. Uh, what I've shared with you is not all original to me, but I, I hope you'll find it as impacting as it has been to me Two things to consider. God is eternal, and our life is short and difficult. Two actions to take. Number your days to gain a heart of wisdom and seek God's mercy each morning. You know, Psalm 90 in our, in our Anglican liturgy uh, is often read at a funeral. It's often known as the funeral psalm. But it's not really a funeral psalm. It's, it's a psalm written for the living, and especially if, like Moses, there on Mount Nebo, perhaps, you are in need of something to sing when your heart is broken. It's written down for the living, for you, and also for me, that we might live fuller, and in greater dependence on a great and good God who loves us enough to send His only Son, Jesus, to the cross, which is where we go now in our Holy Communion meal, to remember that He died for us, to feed on Him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And who alone can fill our brief lives with the joy and amazement of eternity but Christ, but Him?
I conclude with this quotation from a Roman Catholic priest, a theologian and writer, Michael Coist, most perhaps well-known for his best-selling book, Prayers of Life, published in the mid-50s. And I'll conclude with one of those prayers. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I have time. All the time that you give me. The years of my life, the days of my years, the hours of my days, they're mine to fill quietly and completely to offer them to you that you may make a rich wine such as the one you made in Cana of Galilee. I'm not asking you today, Lord, for time to do this and then that, but your grace to do conscientiously in the time you have given me what you want me to do. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, that we may gain hearts full of wisdom. May it be so for your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.